Welcome back, everyone, to RTOCast number 29, series two, episode four. We're on now, but thought I'd try and keep the numbers going. So number 29, today we have got Ross Pattinson. Sorry. Um, Ross, you want to say hello to the viewers there? Hello, everyone. Uh, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Ross got a really good story and uh, looking forward to getting into it. Um, absolutely. It's a bit of a, a success story starting from not having a farm and now farming which is a, a good story um, I originally started this podcast uh, to sort of show the type of jobs that you can have in farming the type of jobs that are out there how to get into farming and so many folk have said to me and and you know very much in a privileged position that my parents own the farm um, you know I'm not farming myself but folk have said how do you actually start if you don't have a farm yourself, how do you sort of work up? And 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 uh, albeit it was in the family to a point, uh, this is a really good story for that. So if that's the sort of thing you are interested in, uh, make sure to like the video um, and also follow on Spotify as well, uh, and and we'll get on into it. Um, Ross, yeah. could you tell us a bit about your sort of childhood? Were you interested in farming? Did you have any connection to farming at that stage? That sort of thing there. Yeah, uh, thanks for all that. Um, my uncle and grandparents farmed. They had a dairy farm um, and pedigree Suffolk's and pedigree Leicester sheep. Um, so I spent as much time as I could when I was young on the farm, helping out, milking and lambing, and doing all the jobs that were to be doing. Um and just my interest grew from there. Um, and we every now and again, we'd get a pet lamb or two off my grandfather and he would give us a few lambs to rear. Uh, where we lived on a street in the town, had a little bit of um, shared land behind it, actually. Um, the street had 60 houses on and it was 30 houses down both sides. And at the very end, every, there was a bit of rough land and everybody on the street had a plot of this land, not very big, about the size of a garage, normal car garage. And it would be from back in the, the war days that everybody had a plot of land that could grow their own veg on or whatever. And we, um, nobody was using it. It was just rough, all the trees and bushes and gorse. And we wrote a little letter to everybody on the street and said any chance we could cut the bushes down and use the land to put some chickens and that on at the time. And we did that and a few sheep. And it all kind of grew from there, really. Um, we, when I was about 13, 14, I pestered my dad enough to buy us some proper sheep, some, what we call, <laughs> you know, some lambing yows. And we bought five ewes with 10 lambs off the land and put them in this little field where my dad worked, he it was on an old airfield actually. Um, where we lived in a place called Silla, and it had an airfield with lots of hangars on it. Uh, it would be from back in the in the war. It was a coastal town in the northwest of England, and um, he worked for a fertilizer plant, and the fertilizer was stored in this big hangar, and the little bit of land around the edges was all rough again. My dad asked the boss if he could put the bit of fence up and we could graze it. And the boss said, yeah, if you keep it tidy, you can have that bit of field. So our five sheep and 10 lambs went in there and a the little bit behind the house. 
And then we sold the 10 lambs and that bought, gave us enough money to buy another five yows. And then they had lambs and we sold their lambs and bought another few yows and got another little bit of land. And this just went on and on for two or three years till I left school. And, and um, you know, that, that, that in itself is brilliant. I mean, I think the, the, the big issue with farming, and, and I think we as farmers try and pretend it's not the case, which is wrong because it's not true, is it's not easy to get in, you know, it's, no. it's really not, there's, there's barriers to entry, major ones really, it lands extortionate and, and even the places that are affordable folk don't want to sell and, you know, coming from no. someone who owns land, I get the reason, if you own something, you want that, you want to keep it, that, that's an investment in your future, um, but that, that sort of story of the, the, the little bit at the back of the house in a town, like that, that's, that's brilliant. I think I, I love to hear that sort of thing. Just, just well, out of interest, yeah. you were just you were taking the pet lambs. I assume that would be April time. When when would you be selling them? How? Would... Uh just in well, some of them made it, some of them never. There were, there were Leicester. I shouldn't say this, but there were blue Leicester black ones back in the day when blue Leicesters <laughs> had to be white and no dirt yep. on them whatsoever. A black one was sinned upon and. Uh, they had to disappear off the farm in case anybody ever came to look round. So I got the black ones given to me. So a few Leicester took lambs and a few Leicester gave lambs. They never really turned into a lot, I remember. But, no. uh, they would be fed before school and school was only like half a mile along the road. But I would bike to school and often come back at dinner time, feed them, or my mum would feed them and then feed them again at night. And it's learning I can't remember learning. them. What happened to them? To be honest, hobby <laughs> bit. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's, lear it's learning that discipline from a young age, you know, and 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 getting that interest in farming is brilliant. You know, it's it's right. a right. it's a thing that my mum my mum used to sell sort of rabbits and guinea pigs and and pets are a, a dying the pets aren't dying it's like a dying thing pets <laughs> isn't it and you know it, it's something kids could have their guinea pig and they could keep their guinea pig alive and it's a it's a life skill in its sense yeah. in itself you know. Um, well, I, yeah, I'd uh, paper round from a very young age, and I would go and pick my papers up in town and and drive and ride them around on my bike and deliver all them. So you know, I've and our family, but we're all our family at work. You know, it's yeah. instilled instilled on us. You know, watching my dad and watching my mum, they worked as much as they could. And my dad drove a lorry like for the company, the fertilizer company, and he would be away at four in the morning and back at six, seven o'clock at night and, you know, it just, it was drove into us that you worked and you made a living from working, you know. If, so if, only, if, only, if only he'd managed to take some of that fertiliser home and keep it till now, it'd be worth <laughs> a few million. Like, uh, there, was an odd, there was an odd bus bag of disappeared now and again. <laughs> don't, don't tell us that. <laughs> um, the, <laughs> yeah, it's it's a crazy price at the minute. Maybe we'll get into that oh, as we go on. Um, unbelievable. So you said you said you bought sort of five five yows and lambs, and then you know sold lambs, bought more yows, and continued and continued. What yeah. what age were you when this was happening, Ross? Thirteen or fourteen, maybe when the first when the first few came. Uh, off a, um, yeah, and off that off the same man we bought the yows and lambs off. He bought the lambs back off us, sold us another few lambs, a uh, few yows. And it just worked like that, really. My dad bought a little trailer and he had a van. And we used to pull the trailer about in a van at weekends, moving sheep about. Yeah, he helped me a lot along the way, you know. 
And they yeah. were they were what breed, sorry? Uh, they were mules to start with, right. just uh, North of England mules. Suffolk lambs, the first ones that came. Right. And we put a white tub on them after that, Texel tub on them. Yeah. Where we live, the local um, auction is a very white face sheep auction. Right. Like Bell Texas and Texels and real meat sheep. Um, so we tried to breed. And we kept the white lambs out the yows and tried to breed them three quarter bred Texel and Bell Texas cross type lambs. Right. Yeah. Um, at, le at least you converted from the, the, the poor terminal sire to a good one. I'm going to get attacked by the Suffolk breeders for that one. <laughs> um, ah, they have the place. They have the place. So. They do, they do, and 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 somewhat of a resurgence, actually. Uh, yeah, but, definitely, yeah. definitely. Um, yeah. But just our but, local auction, love them whitens, you know. So you yeah. try and breed what you can sell, and that's that's always I, my philosophy, you know. No, absolutely, and and look, I, I just have a bit of a laugh. It's just we've got Texas at home, and yeah, you know, it's right. good. It's good to see a, a native such as a Suffolk, um, being used as as just more of a. Bit of a, a loyalty battle, if nothing else. Did you did you see did you see Silith there? Let's call Silith, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so I went I went there. Oh God, um, my ex and and I had bought a house, and and my grand had come over to see it, and uh, we weren't exes then <laughs> together, and uh, we we sort of took grand down Carlisle way, and then we saw something was happening in Silith. It was this sort of party, but it was the first day. Uh, masks and stuff had disappeared in England, but I'm funnily enough from the accent in Scotland. Uh, yeah. And it was quite surreal, but it was brilliant. It's this sort of like we, I don't know what it was. Was it a, is there a summer festival there? I don't know how. A carnival or something? Was it August? <laughs> they have a carnival in August? Yeah. 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 There's all sorts going on. They have a big, you know, the big green on the front and that. This is often, um, and it's a big tourist town, really. That's all it is. It's tourism, really. It's yeah. A few caravan sites there and. That's all there was really there was caravans and a little bit of industry, but not much, you know. There's a docks yeah. there. There's quite a lot of fertiliser comes into the docks. That's kind of why right. there's a... And there's a flour mill, you know, a lot of wheat comes in the dock for the flour. Cars flour, I don't know where you've heard of that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and and a really nice sort of view over Amundum Fries and... Uh, and yeah, Griffel. you'd see home, eh? Yeah, yeah, well, I mean, right it's, it's been, Griffel, been home for the last few months. It's, it's a new home, but uh, absolutely... Uh, yes, yeah. so you you kind of enterprising as a as an almost teen um, started building up a flock there. I assume there was a limit as to how much in that sort of bit of borrowed land you had you could do. So right. how, how many how many did you build up to before things had to sort of move? Um, well, it didn't really stop. We just got to fill that bit and then found another bit. You know, filled that land and then. Oh, well, we could maybe see if we can get a field off this man or that man. And we'll get just kept getting a little bit more and just kept, you know, we never put any money aside. Every bit we made, we bought more yows or a new yeah. tub or a new trailer or some hurdles or some fencing or, you know, we just didn't spend out within our, we didn't spend out of our means. We just, at that time, we could just, we'll, my dad was working, I was working, so we used that money to live off and the sheep money just bought more sheep, you know, and right. more or feed or whatever we needed. And we just kept taking a bit more land and just finding another bit. Or we did try and take some in the the do like a, a yearly rent. Um right. each year our local auction, you could rent a field. Um, uh, but it was extortionate because you were competing against 
dairy farmers and big farmers that just wanted another 10 or 20 acres just to tide them over or yeah. We we just couldn't pay that sort of money, so we just had to keep taking the bottom end stuff and just improve yeah. it as we went along, you know. Um, it's amazing how that rough ground improves by just grazing it and let it grow back and then grazing it and you turn it from ten inch long rough horrible grass into you know a green field within a couple of years. And that and that was pretty much all you were doing was grazing it. That's what we were doing, yeah. And then yeah. we did take we managed to get was it about 50 acres off a farm next to my grandfather's um, uh, Dyson's um, so that was our first good bit of land we managed to rent she was looking for somebody to farm it 12 months of the year look after the fences the hedges everything just go in and farm it on a year to year basis but, so then we did you know we took a fair jump there we had to buy a big bundle of sheep and to, to graze that and We'd left school by then, so we had a bit more time. And I was I set off um, milking cows on other farms, and and then I could do my other jobs through the day, or um, stop on that farm and work, or come home and do my sheep, or whatever really. And I we started yeah. when I left school. I went to Newton Rig as an apprentice um, and took that on. So just. I don't know really. It, it was. I don't know what. I don't want to try and offend anybody, but I don't know really. No, I'd done a lot of farming by then, and we kind of there wasn't a lot of learners in that apprentice scheme. Okay, we needed should have really gone further on into a management type course or something to, to sort well, of learn I, I, as the next step. For sure, yeah, and and I think you know it's. Every day is a school day, isn't it? I mean, I've been through five years of education and now I work in education, and every day I'm like. Oh, <laughs> but uh, I th- yeah, I think there was I, odd, there was bits, but um, you know, I I, th- I think we're maybe at that age, you know, when we're doing apprenticeships, that sort of thing, we're maybe guilty of thinking, oh, but I know it. it, it the, the truth is, um, we probably don't know all. I mean, like yourself, you've been in it for four or five years, for yeah. sure, and like you're saying, maybe doing that managerial thing would, would have been worthwhile. What what was it? Just one year you were at Newton Rig? I did two. I did two. two. Yeah, we met like once a week, or we did have like a week blocks and that. Then we'd do a week or two blocks. Um, no, yeah, no, I'm being too harsh with you. They did learn us quite a bit mechanic and side of things, and we got our tickets for like dipping sheep and using a chainsaw. Right. And, um, what else did we get? Oh, clipping. That was the one big thing I got out of it. I went on the clipping course, sheep clipping course, um, and got me a start clipping sheep and. And it, that took off a lot from there, to be honest. Uh, yeah, no, it's it's, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's I'll I'll just actually ask you that in a minute. Just one thing for the for the the viewers listening and watching. Newton Rig is a college. Is it Penrith? It is. It is, uh, but it's actually well, short. not now. Yeah, yeah. I, I was just just going to say that. Yeah, um, it's it's so Penrith, which is um, those of you that listening. You probably know I'm a lecturer with SRUC, which is in Dumfries. Now, I couldn't give you the exact distance between the two, but um, there were two a point competition. They were close enough that there were competition, but yeah, unfortunately, unfortunately, unfortunately yeah. shut, which is a shame. But um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully not signs of things to come for other places because you really want to keep places like that open. If there's not one in Penrith, there's a big gap there that uh, the yeah. youngsters aren't getting that contact for agricultural education. but Listen, we could sit and talk about that forever. But clipping, did you ever think about following that up? Coming I did a lot. Um, I remember me and my dad 
we had a big go at clipping. We borrowed my uncle's clipping gear when before I'd done all the clipping course. It was taking two of us to hold each sheep, and we clipped a lot of them stood up. We just kind of dad held them and I clipped them, and we got them knocked off. But um, when I went on this course and they showed me the proper, uh, I don't know, it's what you actually call the proper, like what the clip in New Zealand and Australia that sort of system. Um, it took off, yeah, and I got into a gang with a couple of lads um, clipping on their trailer, helping them. Right. Uh, and through the summer, you know, I realised we could really make money here if I can get half decent at it. Yeah. So, yeah, we did that. I clipped with him for a couple of years. Well, I clipped with two different fellas on and off. Um, just in amongst my milk and cows, clipping sheep, bit of tractor work, bit of contracting. Still going to college a bit, um, building my sheep up, trying to keep them going. Um, and yeah, the clipping got to a point really where I decided I could maybe put my own trailer on. Right. So I managed to get an old trailer off a fellow who retired, and we started looking for a few of our own customers. And um, yeah, we managed to get a half decent roundup. I took a lad on, a young lad on, and started him off. And off we went, the two of us. And I don't know, really know what we got up to six or seven thousand sheep, maybe between us. But with time, um, with time, things went on, and we got another farm, and that kind of had to stop. And the young lad took over from me, and he's going like a train now. He's flying. <laughs> um, he's got, uh, he'll have a big round now, I would think. Yeah. Is that a name but, we might know? Uh, Adam Bell, I call the lad. Um, right, no, I don't yeah. think you'll know him, but no. just a, it'll be, you know, good lad. In you, the you, uh, you mentioned the sort of name of the, the how we shear, how we shear. I've shown like four sheep in my life. Um, right. <laughs> I think I might need to share this. Maybe some people might say, but uh, yeah. a positive. There's wool in the name. It's like Frederick Wolseley or, or Walsley or something like that. Was the guy that created the, the method that it's used now? I'm sure. Um, yeah. my dad will be listening to this saying Wallace how don't you know that uh, but it's, it's something like that um, yeah well I, I, I couldn't tell you no I couldn't tell you, um, uh, you so know you and then we got into know. competition shearing I went to a few competitions as well with local shows and ended up winning the juniors at Yorkshire show one year and then really? got to go to, they asked me to go to the Welsh then to compete against the winners of the Royal, um, was it Cornwall Highland? There was five yeah. winners, anyways. Two, the top two from five shows competed oh, really? a special competition in, at the Welsh. So that was about me at my pinnacle, and I finished fifth, I think. So wow. I was excellent. Okay, chuffed with that. I was pretty chuffed. Yeah, definitely. That, so. And and yeah. you know, I am. Um, you may or may not know of Cameron Wilson, the sheep game. Um, Seen him, yeah. You probably do. If you've heard of me, I don't know how you've not heard of him. I film a podcast with him. Uh, he sort of does. He's got a podcast for his guys and I sort of co-host it here and there. And it's mainly shearing folk because he's in that, obviously. And and I'm just out my depth with everything. I, I say to him all the time, I was like, you always get these fit folk on and I'm sitting here looking like a cupcake. It's not fair. But um, the I, I guess the question that this is leading to is, is how, how does... How is that sheeting scored? It's not purely on time. It's not purely on quality. But how how does it all work? Right. Uh, on both, really. Um, 
So you get points. The fastest man will get a point. Yep. Uh, and the second man gets certain points. It'll deduct. You get less each time, I think, as you go along. Um, and then there's a judge watching you while you clip with a counter. And he's counting double clips. So if you miss a bit, go back. Ooh. That's a that's a that's a, a fault, and you get a click put on your clicker. And that judge will watch you for a while, and another judge will come up, tap him on the shoulder. He'll move to the next, so that everybody's getting judged by every judge, and he, everybody's getting clicked on. You know, they just pass the clicker on, and you move on. And then when they go through the shoot out the back, there's another judge looking for cuts, and I suppose probably. Um, the amount of wool that's left on, he'll give you a certain grade for the amount of wool that you've missed, you know, if you've missed any. And then so, does, does every fault just add on, you know, four seconds or something? Is that how that works? Or? Uh, oh Christ, it's that long, I can't yeah, remember. Yeah. But <laughs> No, I think it just adds up. I don't think it's time, I think it's points. Right. It points me a time and then all the points add up. And the more, I don't know exactly how it works, but <laughs> it's that long since I've done it, um, you know. Um, but it, somehow it works, but it's all three things. So your speed, the amount of double clips, you know, if you're going back for a bit, and then your uh, backboard score, which your pen score afterwards, whether you've cut yeah. any or whether you've left a lot on and stuff. Yeah. The You, you, you kept, just kept build, land, taking on land, taking on stock, taking on land, taking on stock. Um, and you, you've got a place now, you're renting a place at the minute. Uh, yeah. which we'll come to, but what, what sort of area, and you might not know this specifically, but roughly, or specifically, sorry, um, what sort of area, what sort of numbers of stock could you build up to just in, in pockets here and there? Um, well, probably in my um, early 20s, we've got another kind of big step where we managed to rent a house with a few buildings and 30 acre off our local auction mark. Uh, they bought a small farm, well, a 200-acre farm, but they give us 20-acre on a 12-month lease. We were allowed to use the buildings and the house. Uh, so me and my girlfriend at the time moved into there. That was pretty much next door to my granddad, so it was perfect. I was milking for him at the time um, and working for them, so I could just nip along the road, do a bit for them, come home and do up, go back there, work away. And then another local farmer was given up half of his farm. Um, there'll be about 250 acre with that and a big shed capable of holding 150 cattle, maybe. Um, cubicles and bedded bit, slurry store, silage pits. But this was about four or five miles away. But it was all in one lump and it was all there. And we decided to go for it and take it. So we would have that. They still had Dyson's, which was 50 acre. We'd give all the little bits up by then, around the old fertiliser hangers. You know, it was too far away to go for a little... It was about 11 mile away from home where we got this little farm from the house where we, mum and dad were. So we'd give all the little bits up and we would have about, <laughs> say, 320, 30 acre maybe. So uh, got up to about 400 sheep and... We had room for cattle then at this new place. So we started taking on summer cattle and winter cattle. Yep. We didn't have the money to go out and buy a lot. I've managed to build a few up. We had about 20 cows of our own. 
and we took in about 100, 120 the first year. The man who sent, we sort of dealt with a dealer and he was looking to summer cattle and winter cattle and he sent me about 120 black and white bullets at about 12 months old. And they were, they come off this wagon. I'm like, what are these? They were like skeletons coming off this wagon. Yeah. And we left them up onto this top of the, at the buyer's farm and they just ran about there all summer and they did all right, to be fair. And we put them in the cubicles in the winter and they did not so bad. And I said, what are you doing with these cattle? How long do you want to keep them? Well, uh, we want them to be like a ton weight. I says, a ton weight? I says, yeah, we'll take them to like 30 to 40 months. I'm like, what? So we summered them again. And these cattle went out and they were, they were enormous by now because they were Holstein black and white bullets. These great big things went out and they grazed again and, and they got to about August time, September, and he said, right, the cattle need to go. And yeah, we killed all them and he fetched uh, like continental cattle next time for the winter. They were a bit nicer to look at and uh, a bit more like my sort of cattle. And, <laughs> but hey, they got us on. It was a weekly wage and it was 100 and some of cattle and it helped pay the rent. And, you know, they pretty much paid the rent, my sheep lived there for free and this, that's how we always sort of looked at them cattle that we took on um, so so you you never on that place you never had your own stock hey, sorry yeah, your yeah. own cattle I mean your own cattle no I think we maybe did have a few cows up there but right. it wasn't very easy for calving them because they were five mile away you know yeah. no such thing as a wi-fi camera then <laughs> <laughs> it was all uh, you had to fetch them home to calve them and then cart them back and so we just left them at home because then they would AI or bold if they were a lot yeah. handier if they were at home, you know. Um, and it, it was it was um, it would have been North of England mules you had there as well. Is that? Uh, no, we had a lot of white sheep by then out right. of the mule, and then because we were built so fast, we had to go and buy some cheap, so or something we could afford. We needed a lot of numbers, and we didn't have a lot of money, so we went and bought about three hundred in lamb chiver. Yeah, right. so uh, there were sort of North of England chivets with Beltec Charolais lambs in them off a fella called Chris Brody, very good friend of mine, still a good friend, and I thank him for everything he's taught me over the years with farming chivets. And we used to go to Dingwall and buy them after that. We used <laughs> to go with him to Dingwall, or um, uh, we went to Leg once with him. He took us up mm-hmm. to there and see them sold up there, and we bought a wagon load out of there. And, so we got started with the chivets and they were just, yeah, they were, they were sensible to buy. You could buy them, at, you know, drafts at 70 quid, take a lamb or two out of them. You could even get two seasons out of a lot of them. And then when you put them in the cast, they were going for 60 quid. So you were yeah. getting two years of life out of them, possibly three lambs there, lamb and a half per year, and, and then losing a tenner, you know? Yeah. Depreciation on them was nothing. Whereas, if you went to try and buy a swedel, you know, draft at 120 quid, and then put her in the draft two years later, then 40 quid. Just yeah. The depreciation was too much for for me trying to get going forward. We were just trying to breed a fat lamb and put white faced tubs on them again, and they bred a nice sort of lamb, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and uh, just just quickly for those listening, I'm not in. Well, I'm interrupting Ross, but. Um, He's mentioning draft there. What, what that sort of means is 
with Hilliards, your Hilliards sort of breed pure on the hill, be that blacky, swale, cheviot, whatever. We're talking about cheviots at the minute. And basically, once you get to this stage, for whatever reason, be that age, just any problems with feet, that sort of thing, teeth, loads of different reasons. I'm not going to go into them all, sort of depending on whatever your policy is on the farm. Um, you sort of basically decide to bring them down onto easier ground, give them a bit of an easier time and, and hopefully still get a couple more la lambs out of them. And that's called that's called drafting. So, so that's what we're talking about there. Um, do you think? Do you think you ever bought off of Scotland's famous Joyce Campbell up at Laird? Uh, no, we couldn't afford them. We bought um, we bought middle of the road. We didn't buy the worst. And we didn't buy the best. We just bought nice square sturdy sheep. Um, and yeah, so uh, it was too. You, you didn't want to buy them really little ones because then they didn't cash out very well. At the end, you shouldn't really think about things like that when you're buying them in as to what they're going to make in the cast when they go out but um, that's the way we had to farm them we were some would only get one year out some we were getting two year out so we, it wasn't long before they were actually having to get turned over you know yeah. and then having to buy more back so the more we could make out of them but as the next move we could maybe buy slightly better next year yeah uh, so that's just pretty much how it worked and we did that for oh quite a few years really and the Texel sort of dwindled away really and we just kept buying more chivets and doing that for yeah. quite a few years till we didn't really have many continental sheep after that no mum and dad have brought them on and they're quite happy with them they're, they're a nice animal um the so what, what I, i'm interested in age because it's also quick i don't normally ask everyone's age at every stage in their life but <laughs> um what what age were you when when you took this place on then ross the, the sort I'll of place early... we're just talking about I'll be in my early twenties then when we got that right. all that ground. Um, yeah, early twenties, and we would farm that like that for um, until twenty eleven. So ten, eleven years ago, I would be. Oh Christ! <laughs> um, twenty seven, huh? Right. Twenty twenty seven eight when we put in a tender for the farm we're on now. We had tended for a couple of places before the farm we're on now. Um, a local dairy farm came up. Because I was, I was milking morning and night, every night. Dairy was a really big thing in my life. Yeah. My uncle had the Holstein pedigree cows. I knew everyone by looking at them. Um, I always, I've always had a passion for dairy. And I, I don't mind getting up in the morning do it it's well paid you've got good hourly rates you could do your few hours in the morning take off for the rest of the day do a few hours at night and the rest of, you know it worked well with what we were doing clipping in the summer we had a dipping trailer we went around contract dipping as well in the summer so it all just worked in well I, i'm thinking back now i don't know how the hell we got it all done to be honest but we, <laughs> we must have done so well um so, yeah, in 2011, we put our third tender in for the third farm, and it was a 360-acre marginal farm where we are now. So we were totally out of the area. We're 30 miles away from where we grew up. We, where the first farm was Wigton, which is the land of milk and honey. There's all dairy cows around there. They're ploughing every acre going, yeah. growing maize, growing whole crop. Combines everywhere, and any bit of land that came up to rent in that area was two hundred pound an acre. If you wanted to rent that land on a 
yearly let, it wasn't even a yearly let, from April to October was £200 an acre. <laughs> no, no subsidy, no subsidy. <laughs> you got a hundred weight and a half of fur put on for you before you went on. And it was £200 an acre. And that's the kind of land we were competing against down there. The, the just, bits we had weren't because we were, we got them lumps in the private sort of deals. But if you wanted to just go and rent an acre at the auction on the in the May, uh, March, when they did the auctions, we got up to £200 an acre for seven months of grazing. Like it was that's mental, that, isn't it? And, and, and just just to, I'm, a, I'm, I'm not an imperial-minded person. A hundred weight and a half, is that about 75 kilos? Is that right? Yeah, something like yeah. that, yeah. Some, yeah. some would put a little bit more on. For sure. I don't, on average, that's kind of what they were putting on, yeah. 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 No, that's, that's expensive. <laughs> and if you, yeah, and if you wanted to stock it hard, and you had to put more on. You know, you, you had to go with your own fur and put more on. You didn't get any of the subsidy. The landlords took the subsidy and get £200 an acre. It was, it was just ridiculous what people... But <laughs> as I say, there was lots of farms in the area wanted another 10 acre of land, put some heifers away for the summer put some sheep away for the summer, whatever, just, and it was nothing to them because they had 200 milk cows at home to justify it, you know? Um, so, but it was just hard to get going. And I, and I totally understand where people are coming from now to say they can't struggle to get going because it is, unless you're quite lucky and fall in the right place at the right time, it's, it's really, really hard. But yeah, no, absolutely. on the other side, we, you know, we worked hard and, and we showed pe people knew who I was and seen the stock we were turning out at the auctions. We turned some good stock cattle out, we turned some good lambs. Everything we showed looked well and people get to see that. And the people, oh, that's that lad who does all that milking and clipping. And I think we could give him a chance with a bit of land. He'll, you know, he'll look after it because he's, I'm not trying to be big headed. I'm just saying if you, if no, you can make actually, yourself, sell yourself is what I'm saying. Yeah, it's it's a it's a networking industry. Folk know each other, and totally, yeah, totally. there's there's no and it's funny. I'll ask a question that this might come up in your answer later on. It's how I finish all the podcasts, but um, yeah, so so many people know. I mean, they don't even have to be nearby. It could be forty miles away, and it's like, oh yeah, I know him. He's the, you know, it's it, news travels quick. Um, so yeah, you're right. If if you if you work hard and you you show your interest and passion, it it's, it it goes a million miles. Um, and, you know, my grandfather was well-known. He he bred some real good stock, and my uncle, um, and they used to show their cementals, and they showed the, the dairy, and they showed the sheep a bit. So, they, you know, they were well-known in the area, and he used to say, oh, I'm Bob Carter's grandson, or I'm Andrew Carter's right. nephew, and, oh, we know them, I and, and that, you know, that can get you a, a foot in the door as well, you know. If, if you can say you're related to them or you've worked for somebody that people know you know it gets no, you absolutely. The door sometimes couldn't agree more and you know it's um there is there is quite of an underlying layer of, of nepotism in agriculture and, and absolutely take advantage of it where possible um the yeah. so just just on um on the tendering and, and tell me you don't answer this if if not what's involved in tendering for a farm it's not something i've ever done it's a lot uh, a lot. Is it? Yeah. Yes. Is it a, a, we, and it's numbers and it's forecasting. Right. Um, which I'm not great at. <laughs> Every time we did a tender, we would get our accountants involved. 
And as soon as you get them involved, it's a thousand quid or two thousand quid. Um, and you go around the farm and you look at what you might be able to do, and you have to convey all this to the account. We had to because we wasn't very good at doing the forecast, but convey that to the accountant and say, well, this is what we're thinking we could do. Can you put this in a three-year plan? How we're going to manage to pay for it? How we're going to make money to pay the rent? And that's all they're really looking at is that final, right in the bottom right-hand corner. Doesn't yeah. matter really what you're doing up here. Is the money at the bottom where you can pay that rent? And, and yeah. How much? The problem with putting the three-year forecast in is nobody has a clue what's going to happen in that three years. What we used to put, well, I'm going to sell a thousand lambs at eighty pound a piece, but nobody knew whether they were going to be eighty quid, a hundred quid, or fifty quid. Yeah. We we just put them in at eighty quid, and, and we're going to buy these many yows at, at eighty quid, seventy quid, or whatever. But nobody knew whether they were going to be that or not. But we just had to make the numbers as more as reasonable as possible. Um, we never got through to a, the final three on the first two. Um, it's quite annoyed with the first one actually. It had all been a setup before I even went to, and this is something that young people putting tenders in might come across. But um, a man had been renting a bit of land. The farm we put a tender in, he'd been renting it to put heifers on for two years. A lad who'd been on it before had been badly, and they had to go to public tender. But it was all sewn up before that the man who got the heifers on was going to get it. So there was many people like me put tenders in, spent money, and you know the lap. I don't know. It was all wrong. It was all wrong because afterwards we found out that this guy with the heifers was always going to get it. The degree of price before he even went to tender. I mean, I went on the look round there, and there'd be a hundred people walking around. I don't know yeah. how many of them put a tender in, or how many of them spent time or money doing it. But like, you know, there's a lot. when you go to look around the place. And it does like that. It knocks you back, you know. Your dreams are—it's your dream to take that place. And every time well, you get knocked that. back, it's and, hard going. And when there's that sort of hidden, foregone conclusion to it, it's a bit like, oh, can you just have told us before we get involved?" You know. Um, no, exactly. that's absolutely yeah. saved us the money and the time and the effort and the dream, you know. So, yeah. yeah, but but time went on and that dream did come true. You found somewhere. Uh, Looks like a nice farmhouse you're in currently. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So how did that come about? Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh well, yeah, we. Well, um, yeah, we just put. We came round. We walked around the farm. Um, it's 360 acre they were putting up for offer. House buildings, um, cubicle sheds, slurry pits, um, silage pits. The big problem was, and we put a few people off that, an air, an air road ran right through the middle of it. So the A69, right. which is one of the main roads between east and west from Carlisle to Newcastle, runs right through the middle. Um, there's an underpass, so you can get cattle and sheep under the road. Right. But anything you want to do, like tractor-wise, you, you've got to wait and get on that road the best you can. It's a very busy road. Yeah. So that was a few but we didn't put us off. We thought, well, we're going to just put a trip in and farm was in the ring fence other than the, other than the road. 
but it was all in a wandering fence. So, so yeah, we put a tender in. My wife, we'd be married by then. The wife was pregnant. Um, we got to the final three, and it was like, "You're kidding me! You're kidding me!" You know, we're with, we're in the final three, and yeah. and we got to go to an interview. And I was so so nervous. The pair of us it was absolutely ridiculous. Um, it was in about the October time, I think. Yeah, October, September, October. And we hadn't get to look in the house at this point when they did the viewing days. They were doing the house, so the house was locked. We got to look through the windows, but it was it looked rough to be fair. If they're pregnant, due in the March, we we're going to take this farm on in the October, but November, uh, with no house to go into right away, so unless they got the, the shift on and got it finished. Uh, but when we got the interview and the, and the couple that the they're from London, the couple that own the farm, had been passed down through generations to them. <clears throat> And they wanted to see a young family go into the farm. There's never been a kid born in this house for 100 years before we moved in. Everybody right. had always took it as a tenancy with their own families ready made. Like so, but that was one thing that she did say. The the wife of the, of the couple. Um, yeah, and we sat and sat and tenter hooks for a few days a week. I can't even remember how long. And then next thing we got the phone call to say we'd accepted your offer and we'd like to offer you the tenancy. And it was a 15, no, what was it? Yeah, 15 year tenancy. So, you know, at that time, it was quite a good tenancy. There was there was very little around that was offering you that. Um, so we, yeah, we jumped at the chance and signed on the dotted line. We already had a lot of sheep to come, a lot of cattle to come. With the connections for the summer grazing, the winter yeah. gra- winter housing, because we still couldn't afford to put all the supper cows on if we wanted to. Um, so we pretty much just moved everything we would were doing to here. We were already had the stock. We didn't have to buy a lot of stock. Um, there was a little bit of ingoings to buy on the farm, so we you know borrow a bit of money there to buy yeah. what was here, machinery wise and, and silage and different things, <coughs> um, and buy the supper. We had to buy the subsidy, obviously, then. You had to buy, back then, you had to buy the sub. <laughs> and that was quite a big jump, I remember. Um, but you had to have it, you know. It wasn't, it wasn't a farm that was viable without it. Then. Um, yeah, so I mean, it's a, it's we took it and... Go on. Sorry, I was just going to say, it's, it's a, the whole subsidy thing's a worrying thing in itself. We won't get into it, but... Um... Could you tell us a bit about what what you've got what you've got at the home farm? I mean, I've seen your Instagram and Facebook and stuff. There's some stock with more muscles than Mister Olympia. Like it's a, it's a different world to what we're doing up here. <laughs> uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I when we moved here, um, we fetched the chivets. We changed to more rear and dairy heifers, really, rather than them beef type cattle. <laughs> so we took. A couple of dairy fellas on, and we'd reared them. One was my uncle, one was another man who would send us cattle summer and winter. Uh, we built the cow, <clears throat> we kind of changed tack with the cows, really. We'd had commercial cows, we were trying to push them blue cross cows with blue cross with the blue bull back on, trying to breed short calves. That's my youth was with my grandfather, was around shows, showing cemental cattle. I love showing cattle. 
I just love it. And so we were trying to breed show cattle from crossbreds and we were having, we, yeah, we've got some nice calves, but we were having a few cesareans of one another. Um, we just decided we'd maybe have a go with a pure blue. We're going to have a cesarean, we might as well try and some of pedigree. Um, Carve a few, cesarean a few, whatever, but we might have some with a little bit more value at the end rather than just a 1500 pound commercial. Um, so it all started from my wife's 21st. I went to, we went to um, Moffat to uh, uh, Andy Ryder's uh, dispersal sale. Right. I bought me, me then, fiance, a cow in calf cow for her birthday for her 21st. And that's that's how the blue the blue bit started and she had a calf and bull calf I remember and we flushed her and got oh, about 15 eggs on the first floor I was like this is easy this I don't know why we haven't done this before um, a cow and a calf from uh, Elaine's family she had a few blue they had a few blues Elaine's family farmers as well uh, yeah and uh, uncle, they have farms in the big area, <clears throat> and then a few blue cattle. So we got a cow and um, so just started the dairy efforts, built the blues up, carried on with the chivet to a blue Leicester top, mm-hmm. and started breeding chivet mule lambs instead of just fat lambs. Um, we found that worked very, very well. It was just when chivet mules were coming into fashion and, yeah, you could sell them in, in September. They were well sought after. You were easily sold. The weather's finished any as heavy, uh, heavy as quick as any Texas tub could do uh, or whatever crossbred tubs we were using. Aye. So they worked well for us, really. Um, we still had... We had contacts on dairy farms where we would take your house at winter and fat farms yeah. to, to finish. Uh, so we've got all them. We were very, a bit of fodder beat and we just kept the sheep very, very commercial raised, you know, reared, tried to keep them on the cheap side, really. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't know what the question was. It seems as I've gone on around, but <laughs> no, it's so fine. We built that up for a few years. We just carried on like that. Uh, I was also still going off milking in between hands, so we had the farm. It still couldn't really pay without me going off working. Yep. Um, with my wife for the baby by then so she was wasn't really do, working a lot um she did get back to she was hairdressing and to, to make and doing different bits and bobs and just farming the, the 360 acre we had um just like that until the back end of 2018 no yeah 2018 the farm i was on farm i was working at decided he was going to put a new parlor in and so the old parlour was coming out, obviously. And it's always been a passion, a dream of mine to maybe milk my own cow somewhere 
one day, whether it was here or whether it was wherever, I don't know. But it was a, a dream of ours, or mine anyway, maybe not the wife's so much. But <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I said, what's happening with the old parlour? And he said, well, we're just going to sell it, you know, it's no good to us. And, uh, so the old cogs started turning and we'd reared all these dairy heifers. We had, we had plenty of, you know, cubicle, silage, slurry set up, was already here. Well, could we do it or not? And we would, yeah. Uh, it, we're going to do it. We're going to, we're going to, and we'd, we'd had a good year with a few blues. Um, our blues, going off on another little tangent, but our blues, we realised we had some pulled one. Yeah. Pulled blue cattle are very rare. And in the years before that, we'd had an odd blue calf that was pulled and we just thought, oh, well, that's good. It's, so just like everybody else. And I mentioned it to somebody one day. I was like, oh, I had a pole calf born last week. He was like, you what? I had a pole calf born last week. Well, I've never, ever heard of that before. Like nobody else has a one. It's like, oh, right. Uh, okay. So I thought, well, yeah. So I mentioned it to an AI company in Belgium, actually. And they were like, you've got pole blues. Oh, man. The only other pole blues I know in the world are in Canada. Like, this was back in, yeah, 2018, 17, 18. So we did, we struck a deal with them and sold them a, a cow and a heifer, her calf, a cow and her calf. And, yeah, that sort of gave us a fair chunk of the money to put this parlour back in. Um, so that was kind of how it all kind of came about, really, was this old cow, cow and calf give us a bit of a cashing, you know. That's a, that's a great story, that, isn't it? I mean, to be honest, my my, my knowledge of that side of farming is quite poor, but uh, I mean, so when you said to me, I wasn't like, wow, but then when you said, you know, how rare it was, that's brilliant. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned yeah, so, <coughs> so we bought this parlour, we decided we'd put it in this certain shed. The parlour we bought was an eight-a-side herringbone. Um... With units both sides, but the shed we were putting it in wasn't long enough. It wasn't wide enough. It was long, but it wasn't wide. It was an old style stone barn. So I was like, where can this fit? And we decided to put the two eights in a line and make it 116 down one side. So the parlor we have at the minute is a 16 one-sided herringbone. Uh, in this old stone barn, but it joined onto the cow shed. It made all perfect sense. That was where it should go, and, and so that's where we put it. And a lot, of, few focus spoke to said, "Oh no, build a new shed, put a new shed up, a new yard." And it was just going to get out of hand. We were going to have to borrow way too much money. Like we didn't even know whether it would work on this farm. It's, it's quite a marginal farm. We're quite high up. We don't know the exact exact measurements, but. You know, five mile away from here, the boys are taking four cuts of silage. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We lift so much between there and here. We're into reshes and all kinds of us, you know. it's So, we, yeah, we put this parlour in and we managed to buy some... It was when, when milk was bad, actually, in you know, 18, and the cows were very cheap. Nobody wanted any extra cows. Yeah. Milk, milk was at its bottom and we managed to buy some... Jersey Frisian cross heifers, mm -hmm. some in calf cows, and, and 
yeah, we managed, we fought on and put this parlour in and a bit of concrete down. And yeah, I did quite a lot myself with help from builders and different things, but I spent many a night in there just welding and tinkering on, and doing the small stuff ready for the builders yeah. to come and do the big stuff, you know? Um, and then the parlour boys come and wired it in for us. And, oh, when you think back, it was amazing what we did, really. We managed to get it in. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it, like, to take it out and and it all go back in and actually work was, uh, was, a, was a blessing. Yeah. But, so in uh, January of the 19th, we fired the parlour up for the first time. Um, the only problem was by then, a lot of the cows I'd bought had calved. We didn't actually get... I, bought, I wanted to buy them while they were cheap, but they were like autumn carvers. Yeah. So I managed to find two fellas that would milk them for us for a while. And so I had about, well, we have about 80 cows ready to come across. As soon as we got going, we were we were ready to go. So, yeah, we got that parlour switched on and a couple of wagons fetched these cows home and away we went. And, and, you know, sort of, yeah, it's been it's been great, really. It's quite it's really turned this farm round, right? Yeah. Oh, it's, it's quite literally a dream come true, isn't it? It's, it has, it has. Yeah. No, that's, that's we'll good. say before we did all this, for, <laughs> for anybody who wants to do it, is we had to secure a longer tenancy. There was no way. We were we were 2011 up to 2019, so we were eight years into a 15. And to be honest with you, the, con the contractor givers had five-year break clauses in, which is what, a lot of people now will come across. <clears throat> so they could offer you a 50-year tenancy with five-year break clauses. Yeah. In a 50-year tenancy, it's a five-year tenancy. And that summer, that anybody looking to rent a farm has to just bear in mind. Like, at any point, well, not at any point, at that five-year break, they, you don't have to give them any reason to want you off other than they want you off. Um, whether you've paid the rent or looked after the farm, to the very best of your ability, you improved it loads. At five years, they can say thank you very much, but we want the farm back. Ah, uh, you, you could say it's a fifty-year tenancy if almost against other folk getting it, but if they want it back in hand, there's always that opportunity to just yeah. It's, if it's, yeah, it's five-year. It's, <laughs> it's the break clauses bit that you need yeah. to just be wary of. You know what? How many years before there's a a break or a rent review, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. So we got our landlord persuaded if we're going to spend this money, we need to remove them break clauses because um, I'm going to spend a lot of money here, borrow it, I need to get it back. So, yeah. And he was keen. We'd looked after the farm well. We'd worked together well. We'd improved it. Um, and he, he said, yeah, we'll do it. We'll add it up to, to 2045. So we have it to 2045 now with with rent reviews, but no break clauses. So it give us chance Good. to get this money back, you know. Good. Which not many landlords will do, and not many maybe tenants will come across. We've just happened to get a good landlord, and that's helped us along the way. And lot lot to be said for it. I just um, I've always got two questions. Uh, that I can't remember how many times you've watched this podcast, Ross. I know you, you mentioned two you had. Um, yeah, always got two questions. Always got two questions I want to end on, but I do have one thing that I want to cross 
quickly. You mentioned flushing earlier. Could you tell us a bit about what that is, how it works? It's a very interesting thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, we, we've done it quite a lot over the last few years. We've done conventional, what's called moe flushing. Moe, I don't know how you pronounce it. But it's where multiple, multiple ovulation embryo transfer. Is it? Ah, right, that's it. You've learned that somewhere along the line, have you? Well, I am an agricultural lecturer, so... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so they, uh, they come on farm, you line the cows up, you super-ovulate them. Um, when will it be? Super-ovulate them about 10 days before they're coming into service. No, three or four days before service. So you jab them with hormones twice a day, and that makes them drop more eggs. Instead of just dropping the normal one egg that they would drop on a normal service, it's just a bit of, of a bit of hormone. You would AI them on the day they came, or bull them on the day they came in heat. And at day seven of the calves growing, the vet would come on farm and flush the cows out. And that's where the word flushing comes from. So it's a small tube goes up the ovaries. They blow the end up with like a air and so to, to block, make it watertight. And then they flush water in and suck water out, flush water in and suck water out. And as it comes out, it fetches the eggs off the that are attached to the womb. And then they collect them into like a little filter. Um, so, yeah, we've done that for years. Got on fairly well. We've had some crap results, some good results. Flushing's a very much look of the draw somehow. I don't know. You can do the same thing over and over and get 10 one day or one the next. It's, it's and out the same cow doing the same similar time of year. And we had our best cow was a cow called uh, Isla, Topside Isla. And she'd won. She was champion at the Highland Show as a yearling. So back in eight years ago, she's eight now, so. She won uh, the female champion as a yearling, as a 12-month-old calf. And that was a real dream come true as well. Um, we'd, first time we'd ever gone. We knew we had some decent, but we didn't just think we were going to go that far. But So she's been a real... We've tried to flush her quite a lot. We've got quite... She didn't just do very well on the Moet flushing. Right. And there was a lot of talk about IVF coming around about three years ago. Yeah. And when I spoke to the vet about them, the same vets that do the more flushing, they said she was doing eggs but unfertilized. So she would do 10 or 12 eggs, maybe only one or two fertilized. And they said them's the perfect ones to do for IVF. We can take the eggs out before the fertilization and we'll fertilize them for her in a dish, you know? Yeah, yeah. So we took Isla and we took her mother, who was the same sort of story, would give us eggs but not a lot fertilized. And the, the pair of them gave me 45 eggs on the first run. 20, <laughs> 25 off one and 20 on the other. All to the same bull, because I didn't know what the hell was going on. So I just said, I'll oh, use one straw of a certain bull called Fleuron. And they rang me back a week later and said, yeah, Dinah's done 25 and Isla's done 20. It was just ridiculous. And I was like, what? Like, this is great, you know. Like, the best cows on the farm are now... And now producing eggs, and <clears throat> so yeah, we've put a few of them in, and we took them back and did pick some different bulls, that, some better bulls, some more expensive semen, and 
we've got a lot of eggs off Isla. She's done, she's doing 20 every time, 15 to 20 eggs every time we take her, you know? Yeah. She's just worked well on IBS. <laughs> Not all of them will. It's very family-oriented, they tell me. We, have, we haven't got on as well with some others. Um, the conception rates have been very similar on IVF eggs to Moet. Right. Which I'm quite um, not surprised about, but I'm very pleased about. Um, because, you know, there was talk that they wouldn't hold as well and there would be problems in all directions yeah. with IVF, but not. They've been they've held just very similar and the calves are very similar. Pretty good. Well, I tell you what, it's, it's a, I've, I've, got, I've, I've got a fair idea of how it works, but having never seen it done in person, it, it's good to hear someone chat about it in yeah. real life, if you will, you know, not just sort of in theory. Um, yeah. It's, it's, so it works just, well now. We, we are putting the eggs in our dairy heifers that we rear. So we rear de- the heifers out of our cows that we know are yonis and BVD tested. Yeah. Because we have to be on a herd health scheme to sell any of our blue cattle, so we rear them heifers up and put our IVF or normal moat flushing eggs into our dairy heifers. Yeah, um, and they have the calves for us, and we we book at rear a few, or we take the calves off and put the heifers back through the pile. You see, yeah. Or when we get our heifers back, and then I will switch a few three titters or high high cell counters. I'll put my calves back onto them ones, the ones that I want to go out the top end. Yeah. So it's yeah. really all just working well for us at the minute. Good. Working Good. Well and it's, do you know what? It's, it's a, it, when you got in touch with Ross, it's, I, I love a story where, you know, we spoke at the end, the start, it's not the easiest industry to get into. And, and yes, you had a, you had a way in, of course you did. Um, but what you've sort of went from, from, you know, Taking a yeah. few pet lambs, a few unwanted pet lambs as pet lambs normally are, putting them essentially in a garden, and uh, now, now where you are now, it's it's brilliant. Um, so it's it's been a pleasure to have a chat. I appreciate you coming on. Um, I appreciate you taking your time up until almost ten o'clock on a weekday. <laughs> uh, but two more questions just before we finish off, um, and I think you'll be absolutely excellent for one of these purely because of the story. Um, and that one is, if you had any tips for folk coming into the industry, what would they be? And secondly, where where do you see yourself in five years? Um, where do I see myself in five years? Um, <laughs> well, still here for starters. Uh, still, I think we'll we'll be here now for a good while. Um, still milking away. We don't I'd have no qualms to grow any. Really, we've got enough. What we're making right. now, 140 cows is enough manageable for what we're doing. Um, um, I want to win the Highland Show overall champion at the Blue. That's good one. There, yeah, that's that's the selfish of me, but that's we won the female champion years ago, and I want to win the overall. That's was it called the Supreme Champion? Is that Supreme Blue Champion? Yeah. British Blue Champion. That's yeah. what I want. The um, Royal Bank of Scotland Blue Belly Band round my cattle. That's what. That's what I want on my. Uh, that's one of my dreams. Uh, well, if, if you do, remember to promote this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so that's yeah, and just I don't know. We've got we've got we've got three young kids uh, coming through, and yeah. 
oh, they'll all still be at school in five years, but I'm doing this for them, really. I'm, I am the star of the... What's the right word in... Um, I'm the first generation of this farm, of the Pattinsons as farmers. My dad's helped me along the way, but, you know, he didn't just hand me a farm, so... But I would like to hand... And something, either this tenancy or whether we could possibly one day right. buy somewhere, you know, if we can get enough money together just to secure everything for us. Um, rentings have grown okay as long as the, 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 the tenancy is good enough. But um, a bit like Cami, I suppose, my dream is one day to, to buy somewhere and have somewhere to hand down to my family for the future. Yes. That's a bit longer than your five-year answer. That could be a twenty-year answer, but uh, that's that's I suppose that's a twenty-year dream um, to possibly buy somewhere. But who would know where things are going to go over the next few years? You know. Okay. Do you know? And that question is nobody knows where they're going to be in five years. It's just quite yeah. fun to see where folk think. Um, and I always like when folks say in the same position as they are. It always means they're happy. You know, it's a good thing. Um, if you if you had tips for for someone. A seventeen-year-old out there wanting to get into farming, what would it be? <coughs> Do the same as you did. I I would like to think it could work again if I wanted to start yeah. again now, because if you fit to work and you're keen to work and put the hours in, do the jobs that a lot of people don't like doing, because they'll pay you better for your hourly rate. Milking cows, clipping sheep. Dipping sheep, uh, you know, working with livestock, you can pretty much not name your price, but if you're doing a job that a lot of farmers don't have the time or aren't that keen on doing, you can make more per hour than you can go sitting on a tractor leading the trailers for somebody mm -hmm. because there's lots of people want to do that. There's lots of young ones want to do that. But that's the way I got to where I am because I've made the most money for a per hour that I had spare to go and work for somebody else by yeah. doing milking, clipping, dipping, whatever, fencing, all the stuff that was well paid per hour. And, and that got me on the ladder to go and buy a few sheep and go and rent a bit of land. Um, don't be frightened. This will maybe put a few back off, but. Don't be frightened to use the big company's credit. Okay. Yeah. Um, they want your business. If you tell them, oh, look, things are tight this month, I'll pay next month, I'll pay in two months. They'll, you know, as long as you pay when you say you're going to, use their credit a bit. And the, I don't know. As long as you're fair with them and say, oh, look, I'm going to mm -hmm. pay in two months, I'm paying two months, they won't mind. Just, or pay them a little bit each month or tell them the story, you know, look, I've got no lambs to sell till August. Can you just wait for that first check till then? Or, and that's, I suppose I did that quite a lot for quite a few yeah. years. Just, you know, cash flow was a problem. You were paying a rent every month. You were buying, for every, you know, in the spring when you had nothing to sell. Um, it's, it's like that though. It's, it's, a, it's, well, milk's different for sure, but, yeah, you're, you're attacking yeah. store and fat markets and stuff like that. It's, it's a few months of the year. Um, yeah, no, good points. And, and you also mentioned one earlier on 
uh, that I would say is a good tip to anyone. And that's, you know, you said about working just there, but work hard and that story gets out. I mean, it's, it's a networking industry and I've yeah. told a million folk this, I tell all my students this, um, it's very important. But uh, listen, that's been great. Really enjoyed the chat. It's, it's been good fun. It's always good to meet, meet a new person. I mean, up until two weeks ago, we didn't know each other, Ross, and it's been great yeah. to hear your story. Unfortunately, you're seeing my story all over online every day. <laughs> um, well, if, if, if there is anything I can help anyone with, I don't know how it would be possible, but if anybody was thinking of getting a start or wanted some advice or whatever, just whether well, it's through you or whatever, it's, I don't it's, know. It's, is contacting you on Instagram or anything like that something you'd be happy with folk on, doing? On Facebook, yeah. I don't really do Instagram. To be Facebook. Honest. Facebook yeah. more than anything else, yeah. Messenger. It's, uh, it's Ross Pattinson with, a, as I said, Mr. Olympia type cow on there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, um, that's, that's Isla, lad. That's Isla. Yeah. Is it? Is that's Isla? our pride and joy, yeah. Yeah. She is a beauty. She is a beauty. Um, yeah, so I feel free to get in touch and uh, yeah thank you thank you for coming on again everyone that is listening um i will be seeing you in another two weeks time we've got uh, anna jones on who's, who's written written a book about the sort of divide between urban and rural environments uh, she's also a journalist on country file she does a lot of work with adam Hayes and that sort of thing so another interesting one coming up in two weeks and thank you as ever for listening <laughs>